0: Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer
1: Jacob Solis, down in Las Vegas.
0: We are taking a podcast hiatus for the next three weeks to celebrate Christmas and the New Year, but we wanted to replay a few of our favorite stories from 2021.
1: Starting with some ghost stories from author Janice Oberding that we ran in October.
0: Then we have an interview with a UNR researcher who studies attitudes of invincibility and vaccine rates. That discussion originally aired in November.
1: And to wrap it up, we have CEO John Ralston on the show to chat with Joey about movies for a fundraising livestream we did in November. It may not be hard news, but we thought we'd have a little fun to wrap up the year.
0: One person that has a lot of ghost stories is Janice Oberding. She's an author here in Reno and uh, writes about all kinds of haunted places around the state. So I sat down with her at a coffee shop to talk about some of her stories and uh, asked her for some recommendations on places to check out. She's also joined by her husband, Bill, who is the photographer for all of her books.
2: I'm Janice Oberding. I'm a writer. I've lived in Nevada most of my life. I researched the paranormal. Some people might say a ghost hunter, and I'm a historian, and I love true crime.
3: My name is Bill Oberding. I'm Janice's husband, and I do the photography. I get to travel with her now that I'm retired, so we go all over the country, and we have a lot of fun.
2: When I was a kid, my grandmother told my sister and I a lot of ghost stories, and also I've always loved to read about ghosts and history because I believe they're connected. And I looked one day and thought, there's no books on ghosts at all here. None on Nevada's ghosts, so I'm going to write one.
0: Is there anything unique about Nevada in terms of the ghost stories that are here compared to the ghost stories that are maybe in the South or anywhere else in the United States?
2: Well, they're not as old. Our ghost stories aren't nearly as old. Some in the South and in the Eastern states go back 200, 300 years, and ours are newer, like maybe a, maybe 150 years. So that's one unique thing, and I think ours are more colorful.
0: What about the most, like, significant or, or maybe the most scary ghost experience you've ever had? I'm assuming you've had several, <laughs> writing all the books.
2: <laughs> I think I could say that in broad daylight, I had my ankle grabbed in the Goldfair Hotel. That, that happened. And because some friends of mine were doing a seance upstairs, and they said, oh, it's a little boy, and they were rolling the ball, and the ball was coming back, and they, And I got the feeling that is not a little boy. That is something not very nice, and I don't want to be here. So I went downstairs to get a Coke, and I got it out of the cooler. And I stood up, something grabbed my ankle, and I said, I know you're not a little boy. Like you said,
0: Nevada has a lot younger ghost stories. Do you have any other ghost stories that really stick out to you, either here in Reno or in Las Vegas?
2: One of my favorites is um, Liberace in... uh, Las Vegas. And I'll tell you the story on that one. Just before they closed up his house, that Shirley Street house, I was visiting my mom. And I asked her to drive me over there because lucky, even though these people did not want to hear about ghosts, they were going to give me a tour of Liberace's house. And I was going to see his closet and his bathroom and I was going to see it all. And I thought that'd be really cool. My mom said, okay, I will drive you and I'll go in with you But if his ghost appears, I'm leaving and you're going to have to walk home. So I'm in there looking around thinking, oh, please, if you're going to appear, Liberace, please, in front of me, not my mom. So we get ready to go and I go into the foyer and it's a beautiful, like, marble, marble. And my mom is staring at the ceiling and I say, what is wrong? She said, I was standing here and blue water started coming down from the ceiling and I'm stepping around so I won't step on it. And I looked up and paintings of Liberace in blue tones are all over the ceiling. (laughs) So I guess he was being kind to us. It was so wonderful to just to be able to see that. And I believe that he didn't want to scare my mom. But by the same token, he wanted to say, hey, I am here. Why do you
0: think it's important to tell these stories? What, is it to preserve history? or
2: I think it is. I think it's to preserve history, to get an interest. You know, a lot of people come to Nevada, especially Virginia City, for the ghost, just for the ghost. And I think that's good for tourism. And then I think it's good for people maybe to explore is it possible that there are ghosts? I mean even if you're uh, anti totally it's good for people to something to think about.
0: When a lot of people think of ghosts right they think of like poltergeist right like like someone trying to hurt you or scare you. Do you think that this is more of a positive experience just someone trying to reach out to you?
2: No, I think it's very positive and I think if you people say, "Oh, well what if it, some ghost grabs me? What if it's negative?" I don't pay any attention to that negative. I just say, okay, I know you're there, I, I know you're negative, and I just don't want to be involved with you because it, you should look at the positive.
0: What about Reno or Vegas? What are some of your favorite ones, let's say, in northern Nevada and Reno?
2: One that I think is very interesting is the one downtown, the new bridge, Ortiz, Luis Ortiz. Yeah he was hanged on the bridge you want to tell that story you know that story. Basically
3: what happened was this is back in 1892 and Luis Ortiz was a, he was a, a farm worker and he would come to Reno you know every month or whatever just to get away but he liked to drink so he'd drink and he'd get all crazy and drunk and he'd be firing his gun off in the air. Well, the sheriff told him, okay, you have to leave. You can't come back, and they banished him from downtown Reno. But about a month later, he came back again, and he did the same thing. He got drunk, and he's firing off the gun, and the constable went up there and uh, said, okay, you're going to have to leave. We're going to arrest you. And he was firing his gun, and... and the gun went off and shot the constable. And so they took him down to the jail, they arrested him, and they put him in jail. And the constable, they took him to the doctors to patch him up, find out what was going on. The next day, somebody made an announcement and said, the constable is in grave condition, he will not make it. He's not going to survive the day. So took Luis Ortiz and uh, took him down to the bridge and was going to hang him on the bridge. And they put a rope around his neck and pulled him into the next world, okay? Unfortunately for him, and fortunately for the constable, about a week later, he made a full recovery. He did not die. So they hung him for a crime that he really didn't commit. I mean, not murder anyway. And so they say he haunts the bridge because of that reason. Do you think that, like like you said, a lot of this is history, right? I think
0: that's a huge anchor to all of ghost stories is the historical aspect of it. Do you think that it's not given a time of day, you know, just the general public or, or anything?
2: Yes, I do. I think there's a lot of haunted places that nobody can get into anymore because now certain organizations own them and somebody in that organization is dead set no pun intended against ghosts and ghost hunters the casinos do not want to hear about no, the ghost at all they will they do not want to hear about it they do not want to talk to you about it
3: there's so many buildings that they've just knocked down destroyed and it went away it's hard i mean when you wrote the las vegas book since then you had to update it remember because there was so many places uh, like carluccio's and all those places that are, are no gone.
2: they're gone now so i think a lot of people will use their own personal thoughts and feelings rather than say well okay like you're a reporter joey maybe i'm not really that interested in it but maybe my listeners or readers might be i think a, a lot of people don't do that
0: if people are gonna like go find some haunted places around. Like you said, it's kind of hard to access some of these places, right? What are some easily accessible places around the state that people can check out?
2: You're right. And, and that's a shame that some of these places, they're outrageous and if they'll even let people in. It's really hard to get in a lot of places. The park downtown where the believe sign is... That, they said, Marilyn Monroe haunted, but I don't think it's Marilyn Monroe necessarily. In 1962, the Golden Hotel, which is kind of catty-cornered from there, burned down, and only one person was killed in that fire, a woman named Carol May, and she happened to be a blonde showgirl. And I believe that she's the one that wandered over there after she died. That's what I think. So out there, you could go over by the Lake Mansion, And right across the street, you can't go in the places, but I don't think the ghosts are trapped indoors necessarily.
0: James Linhart is a researcher at the University of Nevada, Reno's Business School. Reporter Jackie Valley and I talked to him about some research he's been doing on the idea of invincibility and how that affects vaccination rates and willingness to participate in measures that mitigate COVID-19. Here's some of that interview. I am here with James Linhart with the UNR Business School. You're a researcher up there. I'm also joined by a fellow reporter, Jackie Valley. So thank you guys both for joining me on the podcast. I'm going to let Jackie ask the first question here about the research that you've been doing.
4: Yeah, we were hoping you could give us the broad overview of what this research shows us. Well, this
5: research is looking at really vaccination intentions across the globe. So across 51 different countries, we were able to secure data from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Facebook's Data for Good initiative, where they've been surveying people during the pandemic to try to understand their beliefs and perceptions uh, surrounding vaccination and also preventative behaviors such as mask wearing, social distancing, hand washing. And so using that data, what we wanted to look at in particular was whether individual beliefs about your own risk perception or invincibility to the disease would in turn affect whether or not you wanted to get vaccinated and your your concern about spreading the disease in your community. And so we looked at that at the individual level and then across these 51 countries, and we found, as the literature would, would predict... That invincibility, so thinking that you're invincible or having a much lower fear or perceived threat from COVID-19 was a negative predictor of vaccination intentions and also your concern about spreading the disease in your community.
0: So the U.S., U.K., Australia are a little bit more individualistic than, than maybe some Latin cultures or, or, or like in India, family centric cultures. Is that what you're finding is that cultures that are more family centric that we normally consider family centric are those cultures that are more willing to get vaccinated and wear masks than, say, cultures like the U.S.?
5: Well, when when you look across countries, there's so many other factors as well, say political factors, different types of mandates, and so there's there's a lot of factors that go into say overall vaccination rate. The data used for this paper came before there was actually a vaccine on the market, so we're able to look at just intention. If there was a vaccine available to you, would would you get vaccinated? In terms of differences in cultures, the collectivism dimension it it spans. Some countries will be high on collectivism, but you might think of them as very different countries on a lot of other, say, cultural dimensions. For instance, Mexico is much higher than us on, on collectivism, and China is also much higher than us. But you probably wouldn't think of Mexico and China as being similar on a lot of other cultural dimensions. So it's just one dimension to help us understand culture. You have to really factor in other dimensions as well. Let's say power distance, uncertainty, avoidance, masculinity, a number of other things to get a a clear picture uh, on how one culture differs from another.
4: How do you frame the messaging around this then knowing that some people think they're invincible what's the best way to reach them? I I ask in part because I cover a lot of school board meetings. And so when we saw the face mask issue and vaccine mandates come before boards, it drew tons of people to these meetings. And oftentimes on both sides, there were put downs. And so I I just am wondering whether that I know better than you versus more empathetic approach would resonate stronger with these folks.
5: Yeah, I, I think I think you're on the right track there with empathy. I've done other work on vaccines where we were focused largely on communicating the risks of, say, side effects or the cost-benefit analysis of you know whether you should get vaccinated or not. Based on this research and other uh, research we have ongoing and in recent research from other other teams, I think the message tends to be to focus more on emotions, emotional appeals than rational appeals. And what I mean by that is, Instead of trying to convince someone that say there's a very, very low probability of a negative outcome, instead, I would focus more on you may not be personally in that group of people that's very at risk from COVID. However, there's a lot of those people that are at high risk of COVID. And there's also people for whom the the vaccine will not be as effective in creating the antibodies needed to resist the disease. And so by you getting the vaccine, we help to create herd immunity, thereby protecting the, the population at large or your community at large. And so how do we get that message across, right? Because I think I think invincibility, it's, it's, I think it's very much an American quality. And we're, we're here in Nevada, and I think it's very much a part of, of our mindset here as well. This idea of we can overcome adversity, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we can be autonomous, free individuals. And invincibility is is related to those types of values. And, And I would say the values of the US at large. So I don't think it's something to say, hey, you shouldn't think you're invincible. Rather, I think a better approach would be to say, I'm not going to argue with you in terms of whether you are at risk, but we can't, we have to agree that other people are at risk. And so empathy, I think, helps us make that connection.
4: We have Vegas strong, Boston strong, Mm -hmm. pretty much Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. single city attached to that phrase. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at this point, has that just waned on people over time?
5: I don't know conjecture here. I I think each, each situation is really unique. And when we talk about vaccines in particular, we have a pretty long history of vaccine hesitancy in the U.S. And so... I think there you're. We're, we're talking about something different. And I was thinking about that. I was, it was a documentary I was watching on 9-11 not that long ago. It's quite a different response to 9-11, especially initially. There was, there was very much a coming together and a collective concern, collective support, really about everyone there in New York. And then together, I felt that there was more coming together there than during the pandemic. And I think definitely not a comparison of apples to apples, right? It's completely different. And most of us have never faced a a pandemic, a threat like this. And there was and just kind of the the behaviors that were either mandated or recommended were also such that it was stay six feet apart, stay at your house, isolate yourself. So that could have, you know, even though necessary, that could have also worked against kind of this idea of working on this problem collectively as a group rather than uh, as individuals.
0: We recently have the vaccine available for, I think it's five to 11 year olds, right? Does the messaging of coming together work for all ages or in demographics? Are you finding that it's a pretty universal message that can spread those things? Or are there messages that will encourage parents to get their children vaccinated?
5: That is definitely one of the next things to look into in terms of trying to understand parent perceptions. Now, I can say based on some of my earlier work, it's much different. When you're choosing for yourself versus when you're choosing for someone else, and that is magnified when choosing for a child. So, having children myself, of course, you want you would do anything to help protect them from all types of threats in the world, right? That that you think about probably much, way too much. And so, in terms of messaging, there, we're going to need to we're going to need to look into that. In and study that and really and talk to a lot of parents and try to understand their concerns. And again, it's also new, right? It's 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 very new and, and the mandates are coming on us quite quickly, it seems. And so I think we'll see a lot of discussion and rightly so. Rightly so. We'll see a lot of discussion on that issue moving forward.
4: I wanted to jump back to something you said earlier that I thought was really interesting. You mentioned invincibility and how we see some of the same traits and people who drive risky or consume lots of alcohol. Why is that? I mean, what is maybe in their psyche or trait wise that has that pattern?
5: Sure, sure. Well, I've seen it in my own life (laughs) for sure. You know, as as you grow up, I've definitely felt more invincible when I was younger. And 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 it's true. I mean, we were working on some marketing studies on the Affordable Care Act when it when it first came out, we actually talked about millennials at the time as the young invincibles because a problem with the Affordable Care Act was that we needed signups. We needed a lot of enrollment from the young millennials for it to work. (laughs) We needed young, healthy people to offset the the costs of of the the less healthy people. But they didn't think they needed health insurance, right? So paying anything, even even a low rate, uh, was too much. And that, that changes over the lifespan. And we do see that other research on invincibility, there's definitely correlations with with gender, with with age, and so that people do perceive themselves to be more invincible, especially say health health related threats when you're, when you're younger, and also males tend to be think they're more invincible in relationship to to females. There's also personality differences as well, so they found that so in, invincibility tends to be related more to egocentric thinking, more independence. So you can kind of paint your own picture uh, of kind of the, the invincible person. We spend a lot of time thinking about the science side of how to develop a vaccine and, and various other preventative measures that we can take. But the human side, I feel, is is often left out, at least initially. So I think preparing in terms of research to try to understand how, how people at the individual level and also in aggregate respond to various threats. Is, is very important.
0: Did you, is there any sort of actionable item that you presented in any way that can help increase vaccination rates or mask wearing or any sort of preventative measures for spreading the virus?
5: Yeah, I think it comes back to, again, the more, and we can do this ourselves, right? So how do we create more empathy within ourselves? And I think the trick there is to largely see yourself as more interdependent, more reliant. On others and their well-being than you might think. And so just taking a, a moment to step back and say, you know, my life largely consists of all these other people and they create my world and they define me. And so caring about them and their well-being and doing what I can, even if I, even if it's not that convenient for me or I have questions about it personally, if it can help the group in aggregate, especially those that I care about, my, my friends, my family, if it can help them, then why wouldn't I want to?
0: This is our fundraising, our fundraising push at the end of the year uh, to donate to the Nevada Independent Uh, And so John and I, to promote people uh, donating and watching, we're also going to talk about movies, which is John's favorite topic to talk about, one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I think for the most part, people like hearing your terrible opinions on movies, John. So thank you Uh, for joining me. Likewise, (laughs) Joey, (laughs)
6: likewise.
0: Yeah. So we're gonna take some audience questions if there are any. Um, So if you are watching the live stream, feel free to comment any questions. Um, I'll be monitoring that as best I can. Um, but we also have some questions already from um, from Twitter. So I figure we'll just start with those unless you have any uh, burning movie needs that need to be spoken of right now before we get going.
6: Joey, I, I, I just want everyone to know, and this is a little known fact I may have told you, is that my original uh, goal in journalism uh, was to be a movie reviewer. And when I was a kid, I actually, on my dad's Apple II, not that I'm dating myself, I wrote like 1,500 capsule movie reviews and printed them out on that uh, crazy paper that existed back then. But, and then it was to be a sports writer. And then look where I ended up. In
0: politics, uh, very similar to sports and movies in many ways. (laughs) Uh, I've always loved movies. Um, I don't know if I ever wanted to be a movie reviewer or anything. I don't think people like my opinions. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I do love talking about movies and I'm very willing to share them, even if people don't love them. Um,
6: well, but... I will say to anyone watching and listening that um, despite me giving him a hard time, I have come to find that Joey is very knowledgeable about <laughs> movies and actually has really good insights, even when he's wrong. <laughs>
0: hey, well, I appreciate that. Um, I know that during our uh, indie retreat this summer, Yumi and reporter Jacob Solis had a very lengthy discussion about many different movies. And I think you told me that I'm much more of a knee jerk reaction or Jacob has lots of long, thoughtful, uh, 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 you know, quibbles about movies. Um, and I do. I will agree with that. I am more of a knee jerk reaction to kind of, you know, I didn't like it and I didn't like it because I don't know, it wasn't very good.
2: <laughs> yeah, but,
0: um, let's let's get started. So so some of the questions that we had, let me pull them up here on Twitter. Um, you tweeted out that we're going to be doing this. So uh, Gabby McGregor had quite a few questions for us. So I, th- I thought we'd start there.
6: Gabby uh, McGregor, that... by the way, is a lobbyist and uh, works for the Ferraro Group and actually knows a lot about movies. Uh, Joey, okay. she, she frequently uh, answers the movie trivia question that I ask in my newsletter uh, every Friday. So she knows a lot.
0: All right. Well, hopefully she, uh, she respects our, our, our thoughts on some of the questions that she presented Then
6: can't promise that
0: (laughs) we'll see. So the, her first question is what is the worst best picture winner? And I feel like there are, I think you and I have had this discussion before and there are two that stick out to me, but I'll let you answer first.
6: No, no, you go first, Joey.
0: Okay. Okay. You want me to answer first? Okay. And like I said, I came prepared. So I've pulled these up because I wanted to make sure I had the, the years, right? So 2010's uh, the hurt locker, uh, by Catherine Bigelow, I think is not a good movie. You're you're so
6: wrong on this. That was the best (laughs) movie of of that year. It was a brilliant movie with some brilliant performances. It's the movie that essentially made Jeremy Renner a star. And Guy Pierce has a great cameo near the beginning of that movie. Uh, Both two of my favorite actors uh, by the way. But The Hurt Locker is just an amazing, shattering achievement. And, and I, I don't want to spoil the movie for people who have not seen it. But what happens at the end of that movie is so shattering and yet so it, it rang so true. Uh, I, I just thought it was brilliant. And I, I'm sorry that you are starting off this uh, <laughs> uh, with, with a, one of your wrong opinions, but go on.
0: I mean, I, I look. Jeremy Renner, resident of Reno. I have seen him in Reno before at at a bar. I just love that part of him too. Yeah, that's great. I love Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Uh, he's good in the movie. He all of the acting is good in the movie. The story in the movie is completely unrealistic and terrible.
6: <laughs> oh, I, I think it's ju- I think it's just the opposite. It is a metaphor for war and what happens to pe- to, to people during war and how difficult that is for them when they get back from a war, because there's part of that experience is the only time they feel alive. Uh, I I, I, th- I, thought it was, it really resonated uh, Joey and w- w- with me. And I, I just thought it was a great, great movie. Yeah,
0: I was, I mean, District nine, uh, Inglourious Bastards, A Serious Man, um, Up, these were all up against it that year. Um, I, I like all of those movies more personally. I, I felt like The Hurt Locker maybe, for me, it was not
6: very realistic.
0: Um, it, it didn't. Uh, it was feel Avatar like...
6: up that year too,
0: Joe? Avatar was up that year. Yeah, well.
6: and you know what, what's great about that is that um, Catherine Bigelow, who directed The Hurt Locker, is James Cameron's ex uh, ex uh, wife, and he and and he was the overwhelming favorite to win for Avatar, and she won, and so that was another kind of like hmm, kind of yeah. part of that.
0: I, Avatar should not have even been up for Best Picture. <laughs> but people love a
6: avatar it's my son's favorite movie oh. uh, I, I know people love it
0: well um so that was my first one i didn't okay. i don't think the Herlocker is good and you disagree and that's okay um you're wrong that's fine uh, um, i've been wrong before um the other one which i think you will agree and maybe i'm wrong but 2006 winter crash
6: yeah that, that is the one that is named by a lot of people I, I happen to agree we'll tell refresh my memory what else was up that year
0: it's not, it's, it's not a big year. There was only five nominees that year. Um, but the other ones are significantly better. Brokeback Mountain is a fantastic movie. Um, yes. The book is really good. If you haven't read it, any is a fantastic author. Um, Capote, uh, Good Night and Good Luck, which I haven't seen. And Munich, which is fantastic. Munich is really good. And I think underrated. I don't think that many people know about it.
6: You know, it's interesting you mentioned Munich. Uh, 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 you know, uh, I had not seen that movie when it came out. And I just watched it for the first time. year ago maybe joe maybe 18 months ago and i was uh, overwhelmed by how good it is it is it is such a good movie and you're right not recognized especially because of who directed it as as one of his best movies and i think it is one of his best movies
0: yeah yeah because people
6: don't know it's spielberg who directed it
0: yeah and kathleen kennedy was uh, one of the producers who now runs star wars for disney so uh you know, if you, uh, m- that may not actually be a good thing, <laughs> depending on your opinions on Star Wars right, I and mean, we can get right, into right, Star Wars. <laughs> that's a, but
6: that's but a I thought hour. Brokeback Mountain was the best movie that year. And I thought yeah. it should have won.
0: Yeah, Brokeback Mountain was is fantastic. Um, I, I, I like I said, I love Munich. Uh, Capote's good. Uh, best picture, I don't know. And I have not seen Good Night and Good Luck, although I probably should.
6: Good Night and Good Luck is a fantastic movie. And considering the business that you're in now, you should really <laughs> uh, watch it. It's a great movie about Edward R. Uh, Merle, and it's just it's really really well done and all of the acting in that is fantastic
1: thank you for listening to this episode of indie matters
0: we'd like to thank you for tuning into our show every week you can find everything you heard today and more on our website thenevadaindependent.com.
1: this show is produced and edited by joey with additional help from michelle rindells riley snyder and jackie valley
0: If you want to support the show, tell a friend, share it on social media, and support local journalism however you can.
1: Our theme song is from the band People With Bodies, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from our own Joey Lovato.
0: Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next year.